Welcome to DocuTalks, a podcast about documentaries mostly from Netflix. Chelsea and Michelle may be from two different generations, but they both share a passion for talks of true crime, murder, and documentaries with flair. Join these chatty bitches while they dish the latest hot documentary on DocuTalks. to Talkie Talks. Today we're going to be discussing Tiger King's episode two, Cult of Personality. Just a warning, we'll be discussing animal abuse, there'll be adult content and explicit language. So this is Michelle. This is Chelsea. Chelsea, what did you think of this episode? I thought that there was just so much going on. It was like a roller coaster. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know there was really a lot in this episode it's unbelievable so we've got kind of a lot to dive in here but I'm I do really think that they are cults so I think this is going to be a better look into whether we really think this these are cults or not there's a lot of discussion around the power of being around the big cats which talked a little bit about last time and be people being sucked into that world with these animals Definitely. So this episode really shed some light um, on the fact that each, um, in each way, the three zoos we see being dissected in this documentary could be considered a cult in some way, shape, or form, and they all have varying levels of of cult-like activity or um, the way they treat their people involved. So I love the quote from Carol about the big cats in Doc and Joe's. Uh, zoos and like how they have their sex juju for me and they're using their sex juju the big cat sex juju to control all these women and control all the people in their um in their zoos well and so speaking of sex juju I think we should start with Doc Antle first because I think he's kind of the king of the sex juju because we know that he has he has three wives Now, they all live in separate houses. They all look quite nice, actually. And he doesn't share his schedule. So I'm not too sure what his schedule is. But the other interesting thing we learn is that he is a doctor of mystical science. So, Chelsea, where do you think he got that PhD from? Oh, online, 100%. Somewhere online. (laughs) Oh, you haven't researched that program before. No, you know, when I was doing my master's, I I really didn't think about doing mystical science, unfortunately. So what about you when you did your master's? Did you see that program? No, I didn't see that listed in any of the, you know, university catalogs online. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're missing out now. We could have we could have done much different things with our lives. Exactly. He also goes by Bhagavan, which basically means Lord, Master of the Universe, God. So he's not beating around the bush at all about how he wants people to perceive him or how he actually perceives himself. He is quite full of himself. So um, it's really 
uh, it's really evident early on that no one is allowed to question him about anything. None of his workers are allowed to question him. His wives aren't allowed to question him. He's in control. I found it really interesting that everyone is vegetarian at their compound and they use yoga techniques to train the animals. Now, I don't know about you, Michelle, but how on earth do you use yoga to train animals? I've seen enough baby goat yoga videos and, you know, puppy yoga videos to know it doesn't go so well. Yeah, but you have to remember cats are very good stretchers, so maybe that's why. Mm, very true, but have you, um, so as the crazy cat woman of the two of us, no, just joking. So as the cat owner, have you ever done yoga with your cats? How does that oh. go? They don't listen to me. <laughs> I have no control over the cats in this house. So I don't know how these guys do it with the big cats. Oh, me either. So, and especially since you have rescue cats, which are very similar to these rescue, you know, big cats, I assume. So the big thing is we meet Barbara this episode and she provides a lot of crazy details during her interviews. So she was a former worker at the rescue and then became part of the inner sanctum, which was quite interesting. I thought I couldn't get over this when she went to join. So she was really young. She was only 17 when she went to join um, and work for Doc Antle. And when her dad was dropping her off, he said, he's like, Hope, don't fall in love with your boss. Like, oh, what the heck? Oh my gosh. Why and then you, like, why would you make a comment like that? I have no idea. My father has never said anything like that to me in my life. So I don't know about you, Michelle. <laughs> I don't think your father would have dropped you off there. No, he wouldn't. Like, who, who, what responsible adult leaves their daughter at a place like that? Because it was obviously sketchy as fuck. Right from the get-go. There was something real sketchy about that. I don't so, even know if you were allowed to sleep over at 17. No, I don't think so either. Especially not with men, you know. No, Especially not with no. Men. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, and only so he only uses very, very young, impressionable women who are really I'm not even sure if they're legal ages in some case. I'm not sure what the legal age is in every state, but some were as young as 16 when they joined his workforce. So and he I really was just looking for young women because he wanted to sleep with them. And that was it. Like He just wanted to fulfill his fantasies and get some free workers. Well, I think so, because I think, and again, I think this is the lure of these big cats, right? So he's luring people in with the big mm -hmm. cats because Barbara looked at the website and saw about how they train the cats with yoga techniques and it all looks so fun and exciting and it looks like they really care about the animals considering they're all vegetarian and, you know, caring very much about looking after these rescued big cats. So I think that's what lures them in. But then they're young and they're vulnerable and he makes them work very long hours because, again, you know, the pets need 24-7 care. I keep saying pets. They're not pets. The animals need 24-7 care. And they only get $100 a week. But the interesting yeah. thing when you said he controls every part of their lives, he made them legally change their name. Yes, which I'm just like, he didn't even pick good names. Like, I wouldn't have signed up for that. No. No. I don't even believe in changing my name when I get married. Why would I let some random man change my my given name? Yeah, I didn't change my name when I got married. But it's interesting, too, because he picks all their outfits, too. 
Oh, gosh. And what taste he has. I'm really wondering if Doc is a secret furry because a lot of those outfits looked like these anthropomorphic cat sex cats. And I'm just like, nobody thinks that's sexy unless they want to bang a cat. I, you know what? I hadn't thought about that, but you do kind of wonder if he's a furry. So who has better taste with the animal print? Is it Doc's girls or Carol? I have to go with Carol on this one, honestly. Like, oh, no. Oh, just because, you know, she didn't wear a, a onesie with her tits out, maybe, or full cat face paint. <laughs> well, like, you got a good point there. <laughs> she at least draws the line. Yeah, she does. <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't get over the fact that all the women had to get implants too like so not only does he control the outfits and their names but then he controls how their bodies look and using plastic surgery to modify them and um I remember Barbara saying she didn't even know it was happening they just took her and that's it she got her boobs done well it was interesting because she got them done so she could just have a break yeah she wanted to rest have a have a nap that's so terrible yeah and I I think that does go in with that vulnerability and he's choosing these girls that they're too afraid to fight against anything he does. So he really has them in a grip. So, yeah. So you can tell it's just, they really have no say in anything that's happening and they've just, they've drank that Kool-Aid 100%. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, she talked a lot about the cats that she worked with and, I think there was this lure of wanting to still be around these animals that she grew to love and appreciate. And if she was to leave there, that would all be taken away. So there's the lure of the cats. But then also, if you're only making $100 a week, that's not a lot of money for you to be able to save money to do something else with your life. And then also, how would they get off the compound, too? Because that one looked like it was quite heavily guarded very enclosed they obviously don't have their own vehicles things like that so it would make it very difficult I remember thinking um, I spent a lot of time thinking about this like why didn't she just leave because it's so easy as someone on the outside looking in to say why don't why didn't you just leave but then you brought up these really great points and yes like these animals almost become your children like we know how much we bond with our own pets so if you're raising something from infancy of course you're going to have these strong bonds with them and and even if it's just that allure of the big cats but it's just you know you don't want to leave all these animals that you have really great ties and maybe if you left they wouldn't get treated properly it raises a lot of questions so do you think it's a cult Oh, 100%. And all those women are so brainwashed. And not just the women, because they did interview a male handler on the property, and he was just as brainwashed. Like, he thought outside life was being a brainwashed cult-like experience. And I was like, no, honey, no. I thought that was his son they interviewed, wasn't it? They interviewed his son, but also another um, caregiver who was a male. He did, like, groundskeeping. Yeah. I'm curious about listeners, though, if, if they would have come across his website that said, you know, yoga, vegetarian, tiger rescue place, if people would be tempted to go join this 
cult, even though they, it's not clear it's a cult right from the beginning. But I'm just curious what people would think, because I, I could see how it could be tempting if you came across that website and saw this kind of information that Barbara talked about. I could see how it could be tempting to go there, but then you get so sucked in, you can't leave. Totally. Like I look at those work away and a broad experience websites that allow you to do, you know, animal volunteer work. And a lot of them have very similar um, descriptions and they draw you in because they want these volunteers to come. So of course, it's going to sound really great. I want to know if the listeners agree with us that they were thinking these zoos were cults or if they think we're just being a little over <laughs> overzealous with this topic. <laughs> they might. Hard to say. <laughs> okay, so let's look at our next cult, Joe. Mm -hmm. um, now, Joe credits Doc for helping him set up his cult. He said that Joe's cult was just a little more upscale than his. Let's just start with his love life. He has two husbands, not three like, like Doc, but he's got two. So what do you think of that? I thought it was quite a unique relationship since most polyamorous relationships I have um, heard about or, you know, studied, things like that. Especially, so especially if they are same-sex partners that are equally interested, like they're all gay, they often are more of a thruple or equally involved with each other. Whereas it just seemed like Joe and then his two husbands that were just there for Joe. It wasn't, there yes. was no like John and, and Travis action going on. So like, were there threesomes? I don't know. And it didn't seem like John and Travis had a relationship, which to me, if you are in an open relationship, a polyamorous relationship, you live with your partner and another partner, how could you not have a relationship with that person? So I found that to be very weird and intriguing. What did you think about that, Michelle? Yeah, I thought I was looking for that, actually, because I was thinking, do Travis and John have kind of a relationship between the two of them? But they they don't. Mm -hmm. So they're more like, you know, the male version of sister wives, I think, than, yeah. you know, really all being in, like you said, that polyamorous relationship. Um, but, yeah, I think it's all about Joe and what Joe wants. Um, and John was his first. And it looked like from what John said that Joe was wanting to get somebody else in the relationship for a while. And then mm -hmm. when Travis came along, John agreed to allow Travis to be part of this, whatever this is. Yeah. And I just remember with John's interviews, like he always just looked so sad when he was discussing it. Like, you know, you could tell that he didn't want to bring someone else into the relationship. It was what Joe wanted. And because it seemed to me like because he loved Joe, just wanted Joe happy. And also, you know, he kind of was in a very controlling relationship. So I was just really struck by how unhappy John really seemed about Travis coming in and like John, um, Joe sharing his attention and affection. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, John seemed kind of detached from the whole situation, so oh. it's hard to get a bit of a read on him. But I thought Travis's interview was interesting because I really didn't necessarily get the impression that he was really all that into Joe. No, 100% no. So I'm not sure why he decided to go along with all this 
I know. I'm wondering if he was like swayed by the money in quotation marks and power that he kind yeah. of saw in like the lure of the big cups and also like the lure of the drugs, the alcohol, the big toys he was getting maybe. But yeah, like in that video where he was explaining himself and introducing himself at the end, he just looked stricken, like just, it was heartbreaking. He looked so sad. And every time you see John, um, Joe go to kiss Travis, like Travis, like, backing away kind of we're like I don't really want to do that and you can see Travis I mean Joe oh my gosh there's too many names here (laughs) too many too many guys going on you can see Joe kind of like talking him into it almost like oh come on honey like let's do this gotta do this so I would love to see what was really going on behind closed doors in that relationship for sure well and it's interesting that Joe goes for these heterosexual guys yeah. And then ends up in a relationship with them. But it does happen. You know, I worked with a girl who who was a lesbian. And in the eight months we worked together, she converted like two heterosexual girls into a relationship with her. I don't know. Like She was amazing, though. Like she was a beautiful girl. She was. She's super cool. She's great. So I can see it. But like, yeah, it was interesting. I, so I sort of, she, he seems almost like that reminds me of her. Yeah. Just going for these, these heterosexual people. And well, and it's, it's, I find it very interesting because, you know, I feel like sexuality is very fluid and a lot of people don't realize how fluid they are. And because they haven't had that, you know, just because you've never had vanilla ice cream before, Michelle, doesn't mean you don't like it. You just never had vanilla ice cream before. So until someone's offering yeah, until someone's offering you that ice cream, you don't know. And yeah, so I do, I I can see how people who are, you know, quote unquote heterosexual all of a sudden go into having a more homosexual relationship. But I think those people were probably more sexually fluid than they realized. And they just maybe were denying those um, predilections or those feelings that they had. I think so too. And I think even if these guys this is their only homosexual relationship they have the rest of their life. That doesn't mean they weren't really homosexual or no, they were totally, they were forced into it. I think like you said, sexuality is fluid and that's just where they were at the time. And yeah. that's okay. Hopefully there was no sort of coercion or anything with it, but it looked fairly willing. With Travis though, I honestly feel like there was coercion. I really yeah. feel like, I really don't feel like he was homosexual at all. I feel like he was in a situation where he got offered this really cool life that he would never have had before. And, you know, sometimes you have to have a little bit of the bad with the good or a little bit of something you don't want to do to have a good life, maybe. I don't know. I just really don't feel like Travis was in in it for the right reasons. Well, and I think... Like you said, we don't know Travis's background. Yeah. And if this is something that's giving him a better life, because we know that Joe tends to find these people that have no option and they're just thankful for what they have. He even has people that will call him when somebody's at the bus stop and looks like they have no option. So he gets them to come to the zoo to come work for them. Um, yeah. Which just gives, at least gives these people an option. And it looks to some extent like it might actually be helpful to a lot of people because they're staying sober, they're staying out of prison, and he does pay them more than Doc pays them because they apparently get about $150 a week. 
Exactly. I was thinking about that while watching the documentary and part of me almost felt like um, Joe was a bit of a Robin Hood in that situation. Like he really was helping these people who would not have gotten any support or help. Like they probably would have ended up relapsing or, or living on the street and at least and they seemed so thankful for those opportunities. I don't know if that was scripted or what, but at the end of the day, there are very few opportunities for people who are coming out of incarceration or coming out of rehab or are already in vulnerable positions. So I was really pro Joe when he was doing that kind of stuff. I was like, I agree with you. Yeah, because it is, it's hard for people who have come out of prison or especially to get a job and even people with addictions. So I think it's good that they were allowed to at least have this opportunity. But we also found a little out a little bit more about why he's able to feed his cats for $3,000 a year. Prepare yourself. Yeah. Listeners, the meat truck. Yeah. Oh, my God, that freaking meat truck. And every, it was like, not only was it a feeding frenzy for the poor tigers with that meat truck, but it was a feeding frenzy for his employees. Oh, that was sad. That That was was really sad. That was devastating. So let's get a little bit into this meat truck. So basically he has, Joe has this whole scheme set up where he gets the expired meat from you know Walmart or different um, grocers, and he can feed it to the and he feeds it to the cats, and he gets it basically donated because they would throw out the meat otherwise, and then his employees pick cherry pick the meat off, and then give the leftovers to the cats. And I don't mean that they are giving them like raw, unadulterated meat. Pretty sure I saw a lot of bologna in there, and luncheon meats like pros- heavily heavily processed meats as well which I can't imagine could be good for cats. No, I I think that's part of the problem is, okay, he is feeding them on the cheap. And, you know, that's pretty ingenious that you get this relationship with stores that if they're just throwing out their meat, donate it to this animal rescue. But it's not going to be good quality food. That's the problem, right? Exactly. And, you know, there's all, all this conversation about, you know, store-bought cat food for my cats that you, you know, you're supposed to be getting more high-quality food and it's better for the cats. So I can't even imagine these big animals and what that must do to them. Exactly. And then Joe's kind of trying to justify it or at least like swing it in a way where he's like, you know, at grocery stores, they just, if someone leaves meat at a counter, it's like at the cashier, they have to throw it out. And I'm sorry. I worked at a grocery store for five years. Never once did I see meat be thrown out unless somebody had left it. So if the cashier had been given the meat and we forgot to return it, because I'm pretty sure it was in my contract that we had to make sure we returned the meat and cold food storage to prevent shrinkage and prevent spoilage. So you would like call a runner to come and get anything that was supposed to be cold stored or frozen or any fresh meat. So that we could sell it. And we did. We we never threw out meat that had been brought to the counter. Yeah, because it's all packaged, right? It's not exactly. like it's something that they've put their hands on and touched and, you know, used the product, right? So you can easily put it back. But, yeah, I, I don't know. 
who knows? I don't know. I think it's more stuff that's going to expire that did. Oh, 100%. That's what, and that's what I wanted to really um, make sure our listeners understood is that he may have been trying to put his little Joe spin on it, but that was bullshit. Uh, he's I'm good at the spinning. Yeah. yeah. What was really upsetting, though, was seeing the living conditions of of the worker. So I was pretty like, okay, Joe, you know, you're doing some good here. But then when I saw the living conditions and how poor they were, they're living in these trailers with no air conditioning, no water, maggots and rats and cramped condition, no laundry. I was like, oh, really? (laughs) It's not deplorable. It was deplorable. Yeah, I agree with you. And I just could, oh my gosh, when they were pulling open the drawers and part of me, I was like, okay, I can understand these are limited conditions. They're limited, like limited niceties, but they were also living in squalor themselves. So it was just a really big mix. Oh, it was a mixed bag. And I thought this episode, it really showcased a a previous worker, Saf, who suffered a tremendous injury on the job um, because of working at Joe's Zoo. She had her arm basically torn off or her hand. And, you know, they live in America. So she had been given the option where they could reconstruct or she would have to amputate. And not many vulnerable Americans can afford those kinds of surgeries. So she opted to amputate but all I could think of is how much you can really see that she has undergone brainwashing while working for Joe because she went back to work so fast she was so pro Joe so pro cats was doing everything in her power to make sure that they had positive media coverage and that she wasn't letting the media win And, you know, the things she was saying just really showcased how deeply brainwashed his employees were. Like, that, you have to remember, everyone, listeners, that they're excluded from regular society while on those enclosures, while working at Joe's Zoo. And they are only really having contact with each other and Joe. So, I think... I felt like she... She was probably very committed to the animals, too, because she did comment about how Joe said to her, it's the most important thing is to protect these animals and they're the most important thing. So she didn't want that zoo to get a bad reputation by being off and, and having her arm amputated. So she went back quickly. So I'm not sure how much it was the commitment to Joe versus the commitment to the animals. I think it was a combination of the both. But I think it does highlight, again, how cult-like it is. I think, it again, this is just another type of cult. It's not as upscale, like he said, as Doc Antle's. I don't think he makes everybody call him God. But I do believe there probably definitely is a lot of don't question me and do what I say on his his zoo. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's what makes it cult-like. Yes, and he's put them in a position. He's like, I've saved you from your previous demons. Like, I've given you this life. And he can hold that over them. And I bet a lot of them, especially addicts and things like that, they kind of do get that mentality where somebody has helped save them or helped turn their life around. And they they accredit them a lot. I don't know what you think about that, Michelle. (laughs) That's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it can. But, of course, you know, with addiction, it it has to come from yourself too. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm curious what the audience thinks. Like, do audience think that he has sort of helped reform these people, for lack of a better word there, that he has given them a better life than they probably would have had if they had without much other options to go to? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm curious what people think. I hope we see some comments because I would love yes. to know. Wow. Yeah, me too. Okay. So for Carol, Carol is our last, lucky last, Carol. Carol often accuses Joe of abusing his workers and the people, but in reality, is he? What do you guys think, listeners? Do you agree with Carol on this? And so these people are desperate and they have nowhere else to go. Yes, he may be taking advantage of them, but where? what would they do outside the zoo? Let's take a deeper look at Carol now. She does not pay anyone for her animal care. And she has 76 volunteers and their families working for her. There's a color-coded shirt system. So red's beginner, yellow, you have to take some classes for a year. The green shirt takes minimum two years to get. Again, more classes and more interaction. And then navy blue is a master keeper. So apparently that takes five years to get. And then the interns. So they have this fast-tracking internship program where they work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think it helps them earn their shirts a bit quicker. I'm just, I just have to say, hold up, Carol. You say Joe's abusing those people. What the heck do you think you're doing with your intern system and with all those volunteers? She even admits that she doesn't know who's working at her facility, but like they're just always there. There's just always people and she can't keep track of them. Yeah, I I find that very interesting. But on the other hand, it's incredibly smart to do it, it like is. this because I think and I I'm guessing, but I think it takes a long time before you get to that master keeper where you're probably really having more of the interaction with the animals, which is probably the main reason people are volunteering there, right? So they start with the red people, the red shirts, where they're probably just greeting people and, I don't know, taking tickets or showing them around the place or something, you know, doing the gift shop, who knows? But to get to that master keeper where you really get to work with the animals takes a long time. But they also mentioned that you had to take courses. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just volunteers hours. So they had to do their hours and take their courses, they said. So what are these courses? Do you get do you have to pay for those courses? Are those courses for free? I actually honestly wouldn't be surprised if you had to pay for those courses. If anybody out there knows that, I would love to know that because that's my guess is she they're volunteering for free and they're paying her to take these courses to learn who knows what to be able to move up the ladder on the volunteer cult scale. It's like Scientology. It really is. I was I, I just listened to a podcast about um, L. Ron Hubbard and it was ringing, ringing bells while yeah. I was listening to this scale. And for me, I would love to know. Um, so how beneficial are these courses? Who's creating the course content? Who is like are these courses that they can then use in, in real world at other zoos or other care facilities? Are they becoming real animal handlers or is this just um a scheme cooked up by Carol and it's just her cockamamie courses for what she wants at her uh, sanctuary. Love to know. If anyone knows that, let me know. Let us know. We're desperate to know. 
So I also just wanted to say, like, I can see how she pulls in these volunteers because anyone who's traveled or volunteered abroad or looks at traveling, doing the volunteer travel thing, there are so many places where you can volunteer to work with endangered animals or to help animal rehabilitation programs where you have to pay. You pay to volunteer. And I don't mean you're paying like $100. You're paying like thousands of dollars to volunteer for a week. Not like sometimes not even a week, just a couple days, like a day in China at the at the Panda Sanctuary in Chengdu, they make you pay a lot of money to volunteer to work with the pandas. Yeah, I've never done any of the volunteer tourism, but I have looked into it. And you're right. It's a, it's a lot of money. It's not cheap. It's like paying for a whole vacation, but you're going to be working while you're there. Yeah, and you might not even get to see the animals or interact with them. You could just be mucking out enclosures. Yeah. Who knows what you're doing? Another thing that's very ingenious about Carol is she has a huge online presence. Huge. They comment, the other two comment, I think maybe it was just Doc Antle, that she was kind of the first to get on the social media bandwagon. So she created a following very early on and she gets money from that. She talks about getting money from Facebook. And the other, and that's probably where she gets all her volunteers and other probably donations. But the other thing she does is she uses this against the other zoos because she put information about them on the 911 animal abuse website that she created. And she hopes that law enforcement will use it. Yeah, I do. I also hope that law enforcement would use it. She has so much information and it's real valuable information. If they want to stop, tiger breeding and moving tigers across state lines like all they have to do is go check out her website exactly so the the other thing about the social media we talked a little bit about that last episode with the selfies and the dating websites but I also feel like the new social media and animals is just another form of animal abuse so not to sound bad but you see a lot of these videos from China And you see, I remember seeing one video where this lady had, I think it was like four golden retrievers. So she she had this video on Instagram where they all line up and then they have to sit there until she gives them their food. Then she gives them their food and then she says, okay. And then they all start eating. And then when they finish eating, they all have to pick up their bowl and bring it back to her. Mm -hmm. Looks cute. Looks fun. But the whole time I watch videos like that, I think, how were those dogs trained? What process were they put through to learn this? Like they didn't look unhappy, but I don't, dogs are so loving and so forgiving. You don't know what they've been through, right? And then you Mm -hmm. see other kind of animals on these Instagram and other stories that really, again, exotic animals that shouldn't be being kept as people's pets. And so I just feel like this is a whole nother form of abuse, which kind of leads me into Mario. So at first we see Mario here and he has a private zoo. So you think, okay, well, that's not too bad. I mean, he has a private zoo, you know, we, you know, he gets his money from some questionable places, but he has a private zoo. He's not showing off these animals. These animals are for kind of his pleasure, 
But his wife, I looked her up, she has a huge online presence where she takes pictures of all these animals and she has over 100,000 100, followers. So what do, you, what do you think of Mario in that situation? Oh, I thought it was ridiculous that his wife had heaps and heaps of baby clothes that she dressed those monkeys up, the primates up in. And those, they weren't even pets. They were just playthings for her. I really, yes. she, I think she just wanted like lots of babies and the babies grew up or she couldn't have children, you know, something like that. Like she's filling a void. And for me, I'm like, animals shouldn't be dressed up. Like everyone loves, you know, you put a cute little bow or you make your dog wear a sweater. But like at the end of the day, they, they're not there to be dressed up all the time. And especially primates, like they're not children. They're not people. And I, I hate the humanization of primates that really yes, prevents people. Yeah, it really prevents people from re- remembering they're wild animals. Yes, Ugh. we can blame Michael Jackson for that. Yes, definitely. I just, I can't get over those people who own primates from, you know, their infancy because they can't have their own children or monkey babies are easier. It's just, it, all, it goes wrong. Like, all I can think of is that woman on Oprah who, the, her her primate ate her face because she was a monkey, like a primate owner, and she ripped the face, like, got her face ripped off. And it's like, things like this happen. Monkeys and primates are just as aggressive and volatile as big cats. And we forget yeah. that. We do forget that because we think that they're very smart and we can communicate with them and train them. But they're very, very strong. And they're mm-hmm. not meant to be pets. No. Like all wild animals out there. Exactly. And that's what I hope we're really getting our listeners to understand and also just what that message is getting put out there more with this documentary. I'm very, very curious to see what you thought of Tim Stark, who felt if there's a law that you don't agree with, some bullshit law, then it's your duty to fight against it. He seemed like quite the anarchist. I just, he felt like more of a loose cannon than even Joe or Doc Antle. Like, I was just like, where is this guy from? Like, he, and he had like a monkey on him at all times. I just couldn't get, I I could not take him seriously. He was like the true redneck zoo owner. Whew. Yeah, he is really fitting that stereotype and not helping this cause at all. And he confirmed that he's bought animals from Joe, said it's mm-hmm. not illegal, and that what do you do with endangered animals? Duh, you breed them more. Well, I think some people would probably argue with that because this isn't conservation. Maybe he might want to have a conversation with like somebody like Jane Goodall, who has these chimpanzees and primates in Africa and releases them back into the wild. It's conservation not just having them in your private zoo and breeding them and doing, you know, pet tour, petting tours. I don't know if he does that, but that's what they tend to do with these animals and then they get sold off. So I just, I just couldn't believe him. I thought he was quite the character. I don't know. I did too. And I just, I was thinking, okay, I was like, if you think laws are bullshit, what else aren't, what else are you doing? (laughs) What what other laws are you breaking, sir? What is going on in your life? (laughs) I know. I don't know if we'll see him again, but he was really something else. So at the very end, we're introduced that something happened to Carol's husband. So what did you think about that? 
oh my god that cliffhanger it is such a cliffhanger and i just love how they like were panning to everyone and they're like oh yeah she killed him she killed him he went missing blah 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 and i was like first of all carol this is the first time we have ever heard that you had a first husband hold up what's going on and i just remember my jaw dropping like i can't wait for the next episode yeah and it shows that she's gotten her money from him as well that's what everybody's saying right they're saying yeah. that's how she's gotten all her money and that's how she can run her zoo and yeah I'm very curious what's going to happen with that and apparently she's a secret millionaire like where is she getting these rich hubbies from I want to know hook me up Carol uh, yeah well I can't say anything married for love there you go What's, what's that? <laughs> I hope your partner isn't listening. No, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, that drama, just when I honestly thought this episode could like it couldn't get any crazier with this documentary. He proved me wrong. Proved me oh, wrong. I know. I think I feel like that's what's going to happen throughout this. It's just going to get crazier and crazier. And that's why I think this whole series is a lot more about these characters than the animals. But it, yeah, I'm very curious for the next episode. So we'll have to record that one quickly because I probably won't be able to wait to talk about it. Oh, definitely not. I need to know. <laughs> I need to know what happened with Carol. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. So please subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us on Instagram at docu underscore talk and on Twitter at docu underscore talk. And I'll put that in the show notes too. And so next week or well, next episode, I don't know if it'll be a week, but we'll be covering episode number three and hopefully we'll find out a lot more what happened to Carol's husband's. Mm, can't wait me too all right well thank you chelsea thank you michelle all right you have a good day and thank you everybody for listening bye guys bye